the Nabataeans, a group of nomads who transformed a desert wasteland into an oasis. The Nabataeans first appeared in the 6th or 7th century BCE. They came from the southeast Arabian Peninsula in the Negev Desert, and in the 4th century BCE settled in the magnificent city of Petra. So how and why did these Arab nomads rise to the top of civilization? What does Petra look like today? Who uncovered it? And how does this long-lost civilization contribute to our understanding of the past? Well, let's find out. I'm Lily Arnsa, and this is the History Buffs Corner. Why did the Nabataeans settle in Petra specifically? The main reasons for Nabataean occupation in Petra was because of its water sources and its protection and easily defensible geographical location. But perhaps the biggest reason for settlement in Petra was trade. The location of Petra's desert fortress meant that the Nabataeans were at the crossroad of two huge trade networks, the crossroads to the ancient world. The first linked the east and the west, joining Arabia and the Persian Gulf, and the second connects the Red Sea with Syria. Along with this wealth of networks, the Nabataeans also controlled the King's Highway, Silk Road, Frankincense Roads, and maritime trade between Sri Lanka. Petra became the cornerstone of the commercial routes that connected China with Rome, and its locational power meant that the Nabataeans could easily get rich off the incense trade. Any logic would tell you that it would be nearly impossible for an ancient civilization to thrive in the desert between two gorges. But the Nabataeans managed to conquer the desert itself. The Nabataeans obtained and used water based on an intricate system of cisterns, channels, pipelines, reservoirs, and dams. Only 15 centimeters of water rained down in Petra annually, and 92% of that was lost to evaporation. So, each family had at least one system to collect and store rainwater. But obviously, this isn't enough to sustain a desert population of 30,000, so the Nabataeans used other creative methods. Nine natural springs scattered around the area supplied Petra's water, which travelled through carved channels in the Sikh to reach the city. The Nabataeans also used reservoirs, like the Zurabar Reservoir, to enable the replenishment of cisterns and wells. Many cisterns were carved into the rock to safely store rain and spring water, and could hold up to a 12-week supply. There is evidence of 200 kilometers of clay pipes being used to transport water around the city. The city of Petra itself resides between two windy gorges. The Sikh, which translates to the shaft, is the entrance to the city. The Sikh is 1.2 kilometers long and in some places 80 meters high. After the journey through the ravine, there is an opening to the city where you have the treasury and a theater. The treasury or Alcahesna, despite its name, is actually the speculated burial tomb for ruler Arrestus. For those who don't know, Arrestus is one of the most famous kings in Petra's history. The treasury is 39 meters tall and 25 meters wide, and was built around 30 to 10 BCE. It was nicknamed the treasury by local Beardin tribes, who believed it was filled with riches due to its Egyptian-style architecture. On the tips of the roof are two eagles, supposedly carved to protect travelers, and the indents on the rock were used as stairs for the sculptors to access the higher parts of the rock to carve the treasury. The theatre, which can sit 4,000 people, was built in the period of Arrestus' rule, and was hand-carved out of the rock. 
Then you have Petra itself. The city is 250 square kilometers. Back in 100 BCE, Petra's prime, the city would have been filled to the brim with life and would have earned its nickname the Desert Oasis, with thousands of houses, shops, and inns lining the streets. On the left, you have the Great Temple. The Great Temple is the largest freestanding building in all of Petra and was built as a royal reception hall. It's 28 to 45 meters long and just 1.5 meters high and was built in the 1st century CE. On the right side, you have the Temple of the Winged Lions adjacent to the Great Temple. The Temple of the Winged Lions is, is a 20 square meter temple and is dedicated to multiple female deities, which are similar to Isis and Aphrodite. The winged lions were guardians of the shrine. The monastery and other monuments were connected to the movements of the sun and moon, and during the winter solstice, the monastery's pedestal deity is illuminated. There are four royal tombs carved into the soft rock. You have the urn tomb, the Corinthian tomb, the palace tomb, and the silk tomb. All the tombs would have been covered with plaster, but the wind and sand have stripped them away, leaving the beautiful red rock left. Unfortunately, no city lasts forever, and in 336 CE, a massive earthquake destroyed Petra. This sent many buildings into ruins and dismantled their complex water system. A rise in sea trading had also slowly been making Petra obsolete, and it would never recover from this. In 106 CE, the Romans conquered Petra. They expanded the theatre by 2,500 seats and built Sextus Florentius's tomb in 300 CE. When Western Rome fell, Petra became home to the Byzantines, who created the Petra church in the 5th century. They also converted the urn tomb into a church, which became home to Christian monks during the 6th century. And in the 7th century, Petra was taken over by Islam. A crusader outpost in the 12th century is the last evidence of activity there before its quote-unquote discovery in 1812 by Swiss explorer Johann Ludwig Burckhardt. Johann Ludwig Burckhardt was born on November 24, 1784, and was a Swiss traveller, geographer, and orientalist, best known for his quote-unquote discovery of Petra. I say discovery because he was technically the first Western modern explorer to discover Petra. It had been known as a myth or legend to most academics, but he was the first person to validate his existence. Bear in mind, local tribes already lived there and knew about it. Johann travelled to England in 1806, where he learned Arabic science and medicine. He left in 1809, and on his route to Syria, he learned of the lost city of Petra and the local Beardin communities who kept it a closely guarded secret. Burkhart had to adopt full Arabian practices to hide his identity. While he was there, he invested archaeological sites and local languages, where he became the first to discover Lewin hieroglyphics. After two years of studying as a Muslim in Aleppo, Burkhardt decided to test his disguise and travelled to Petra. He told his guide he wanted to sacrifice a goat to Aaron and was led through the sick, where on August 22, 1812, he became the first modern explorer to lay eyes on Petra, the ancient rose-red Nabataean city. Burkhardt declared, Here are the remains of an ancient city, which I conjecture to be Petra, which as far as I know, no other European traveller has ever visited. He took as many notes as he could due to his fears of being unmasked, and on the 15th of October, 
1817, Burkhardt died of dysentery, but not before carefully sending extensive letters back to England. Johann's contributions led to others travelling to Petra, including French archaeologist Lenin de Laborde, who greatly expanded our knowledge of Petra through his work, together with his book, Journey Through Arabia Petra to Mount Sinai and the Excavation of Petra. When people began excavating different parts of Petra, artifacts were uncovered, including the bust of Tzahara and the coin of Aretas IV. The bust of Tzahara was the Nabataeans' primary male god, similar to Zeus or Jupiter. The bust was carved from limestone in the 1st century BCE and is 50 by 81 centimetres. This bust was found 50 years ago buried under metres of sand. The coins minted with Erastus' fourth head were around 19 millimetres in diameter and made from bronze. These coins would have been made during 9 BCE to 40 AD during Erastus' rule. This coin shows us the affluence of the Nabataeans as bronze would have had to be transported into Petra. In conclusion, these artifacts show the blending of cultures subsequent because of where Petra stood on the world map. This bust has a very Greco-Roman presentation and shows what influenced the Nabataeans at that time, whereas the coin shows the Nabataean culture in its fullest form. And here are some fun facts about Petra. Petra is actually the Greek word for rocks. Petra had no slaves, but no one was exempt from work, and women held an honoured position in society. Carvings and inscriptions suggest that the original name for Petra was Requimo, after its founder, and Mark Antony actually offered to conquer Petra for Cleopatra. Petra is significant because it shows us how advanced the world was at that point in time, and how wealth and the right leadership can do wonders. Petra as a site is also very significant to historians and archaeologists because it provides a window into the ancient world and shows us a civilization in the middle of the desert that has a 67 by 53 meter pool. The Nabataeans were an ingenious bunch of nomads who took advantage of their location and transformed it into a desert oasis. The beautiful rock-cut architecture is also very significant as it's very labour-intensive considering the Nabataeans had no slaves doing their bidding. Petra opens our eyes to an ingenious civilization through culture, trade, languages, customs and much more. And just as William Bergen said in his famous poem, Petra, a rose-red city half as old as time. Thank you guys so much for listening to my latest episode. Be sure to like and subscribe if you like this video and check out my Instagram for more historical content. I'm Lily Aronson and this is the History Buffs Corner.